This morning's message is entitled Sardis. And so uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sardis, and I'm just going to kind of walk you through this text, uh, and uh, much like we did last week. And so it's going to be very similar to last week. Um, Sardis, uh, there's not a whole lot to say about that city, except for there are two important things that involve our text today. One, that Sardis was, a, was high up on a, on a hill, and it was fortified. It was very, a, a very fortified city uh, with the aim of the fortification. The aim of that, that fortification was to prevent any outside forces from being able to conquer that city. And so it was heavily fortified. They spent a lot of energy, a lot of manpower, a lot of money in order to fortify that city in order to keep it safe. But even with that fortification, they were still able to get conquered in some ways. Once by, and they were, it, it was done twice in two uh, very prominent incident, incidences, one of them by Persia. The other thing to know is that uh, Sardis was known for their wool production, for making wool and specifically garments. And so they were very well known for that and making very elaborate and very, uh, very, um, very nice garments. Uh, so that was a major part of their industry there in that city. Now, as we break into uh, this, uh, this discourse that Jesus is relaying to the church at Sardis, we're going to notice one very specific thing is that often what we see in these little discourses is that you're going to see a, an introduction, right? something sort of uh, characteristic of Christ, and then you see a commendation, and then you see a correction that needs to be made, and then you see what happens after that correction is made. All right, To the church of Sardis, we don't see that. There is no commendation to the church of Sardis. It goes from introdu- introduction straight to critique, straight to, commenda- uh, 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 to, to a critical aspect on the church. And so that's where we're at this morning. So I'm going to read through our passage this morning, and we're going to walk specifically highlighting each of these verses, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Sardis must do in order to honor the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you received and, and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's a pretty serious condemnation that has been placed upon this church, and we're going to discuss that this morning. But to begin... He says in this introduction, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying here? Now, if if you've noticed a pattern, every time Jesus begins or introduces a discourse, he ends 
with a relationship to that introduction. So he relates back to that, okay? Very good writing, if you will, okay? The conclusion matching the intro. But in this one, he talks specifically about the words of him who have the, has the seven spirits of God. Now, if you remember at the beginning of Revelation, when we were talking about Jesus, we talked and, and talked about the, the Trinity, if you will. We talked about these seven spirits, and we said that represented the perfection of the Holy Spirit, the perfect Holy Spirit that indwells, moves, and inspires all believers. And it says here, the words of Him, meaning Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? In theology, we think of the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And there are some fancy theological terms that we're not going to get into this morning, but I think, I think it bears out that we should discuss this just for a moment to kind of understand what's happening here, is that in theology, we talk about God the Father sending the Son, sending the Son of God, right? We see that in John 3.16, that the Father sends the Son. Well, we also see in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, where the Son sends the Holy Spirit. He even says towards the end of the, the Gospels that he, he tells the disciples, I'm not going to be here with you, but I am sending a helper. I am sending a counselor. I'm sending one to be with you and who will never forsake you. So when Jesus says, I will never leave nor forsake you, he is implying that the Holy Spirit is going to be with and indwelling all of the believers. And so when he says, I am the one, or the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, he says this because the, the, the Holy Spirit is indwelling believers. And if you, do not, if you are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are dead spiritually. And Christ is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he's implying here, okay? In addition to this, he says he also holds the seven stars. And we, we find out in the beginning that the seven stars represents the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, commentators are not 100% sure what Jesus means by this, that he holds the seven stars. Uh, Tom Schreiner, and, and I... I Tend to, this makes a lot of sense to me, believes that it implies, talking about the seven angels, that Christ is sovereign over life and death, and he's also sovereign over the host of heaven, and he's also sovereign over every church. No one, no pastor, no congregant is Lord over their own church. Every body of Christ who has a lamp stamp, lamp stand that is lit, their Lord is Jesus. That is who is Lord. He is sovereign over those churches. And so he's just making this claim to Sardis that I am the one who sends the Holy Spirit. I am the one who sends the one who gives life. I am the one who is sovereign over your church. He's putting them in there. He's setting the stage here saying that I am Lord, not you. And then he continues in the second half of verse 1. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now that dead, that concept of dead, he's implying means spiritual. That they are dead spiritually. Now what we're going to find 
is that Jesus is talking to the whole church, but that there are some in the congregation that are alive. There are some who have not soiled their garments, that are still walking in white, walking with the Lord. But the vast majority of those in the church are, everybody believes that they're alive, maybe even themselves, but they are truly spiritually dead. Now, several years ago, there was a movie called The Sixth Sense. How many of you in here have seen The Sixth Sense? Okay, good, because there's going to be spoilers. Um, and uh, we, we, we just showed this movie, Crystal and I, to the boys uh, for the first time just a few months ago, uh, where we all sat down and watched The Sixth Sense, and they were amazed by the ending. But just to recap what that is about, uh, Bruce Willis plays a psychiatrist, a psych- an award-winning psychiatrist who works with these children, and uh, over the course of the movie, you find him working with this one troubled young man. He's probably uh, eight or nine or something like that. And he's troubled because this young man is, is having issues in his home life. He lives with his single mother who loves him dearly and who's trying to help him out and trying to help him through this struggle. And you find that this young man is just struggling, that there's something hidden in this young man. And what we find out is that this young boy is seeing dead people. He sees dead people and he makes this claim. He says these dead people think they're alive, but they're really dead. And he tells that to his psychiatrist and they work through that. And there's a whole this, this, this whole part of the story about he's, how he's able to give these ghosts, if you will, uh, peace. And then the story turns because the psychiatrist who thought that he was helping the young boy work through his troubles, it is revealed that the psychiatrist who thought he was alive was really dead the entire time. Now, that's, in a nutshell, what is going on with the church of Sardis. They are walking dead people, if you will. They believe that they are alive. They believe that they are spiritually alive. Now, what does that look like in a church? It probably looks like this. They are doing a lot of churchy things. That they are probably very active in the community. It is likely that that church has a very good reputation in the community. They are probably benevolent. They likely will help individuals who have need. They likely go out and they serve. They likely have vibrant uh, outreach programs. Uh, They're probably uh, involved in the association. It is likely that Sardis may very well be a top giver in their association. Whenever October comes around and the association meets, they are always highlighted on the program as one of the top givers in the church. So they have a good reputation. But it turns out that spiritually they are actually dead. Now folks, I can't imagine a scarier place to be than thinking that one is alive, spiritually speaking, but they are actually dead. Because Jesus himself says that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all of this stuff in your name? And Jesus says, get behind me, I never knew you. Paraphrasing, obviously. The idea is there are many individuals who believe they are walking in truth, who believe they are following Christ, who believe that they are Christians, but they actually are not. They are dead spiritually. Now, my question to you is this. 
How does that happen? How does that happen? How does somebody put together such a front? There is a, uh, I've mentioned this, I believe, before in here. There's a podcast that is out that Christy and I have been uh, listening to uh, on a fairly regular basis. And, and I, uh, I normally wouldn't bring this up in a sermon like this that for, for the public and for on podcasts and things like that. But it's already public, and so this is already aired, and so they're expecting people to talk about it. And I think it's very applicable to our message this morning. There was a church that was founded by a pastor back in the early 2000s, like right around 2000. A vibrant church out in the West Coast named Mars Hill. And quickly, its charismatic leadership led that church to becoming a multi-site megachurch. They had around 2015, 2016, had nearly 15,000 members at different sites uh, and in different states, but mostly out there on the West Coast. And uh, during that time... Uh, it was revealed that there was uh, very abusive leadership that was leading that church. Very abusive leadership. And when I say abuse, I don't mean sexual abuse. I mean uh, this power struggle, this abusive leadership where the, the, the leader of the church, the preacher, was bullying other leaders and other, con- and other uh, members of the congregation. So much so that if somebody disagreed with him, an, an avenue that he was taking or a decision that he was making, not only would he uh, basically condemn them in public, but he would also say, he wouldn't just say you're wrong or have a healthy disagreement, he would say they are committing heresy because they disagreed with the pastor. Now folks, that's bullying 101. That's bullying 101. And it was so bad that eventually... Long story short, that pastor was put on sabbatical for a time for them to basically do their, uh, do their research and do their investigations into the leadership. And believe it or not, after 30 days, they were going to bring him back and restore him to the church as long as changes were made. But he and his wife felt that it was time to go, and so they left that church. And uh, the way they describe it in the podcast is it seems like overnight... That church, 15,000 members, was gone. 15,000 members, seemingly overnight. Believe it or not, that pastor is now a pastor, again, in Arizona and uh, doing some of the same things. Now, why do I bring that up? Is that I have no doubt that that pastor and many of the leadership that were enabling that believed that they were doing the Christ-like thing, believed that they were leading the church in a holy, Christ-like manner. But the truth is is that they were the walking dead, likely. It's very true. It's very likely that they were the walking dead, leading them down a path to destruction, not towards faith and truth. And so it says here, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and the, and, I'm sorry, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And he says, wake up, and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So whatever Sardis was doing, they weren't doing what was being complimented by Christ. They were leaving something out. In verse 3 it says, Remember, remember then what you have received and heard, 
keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the, a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. There is a great penalty for individuals who are not following Christ. For churches who are depending on their own leadership and depending on their own good works in order to earn, if you will, their salvation. And that's what was going on here. When it says that your works are not complete, what he's saying is you're doing all these works, but you're missing the main work. And that main work is the work of Christ. Because that is the only work that will save. And it's not one that we can accomplish. They had forgotten the gospel. Remember then what you received and heard. Jesus is saying, remember the good news. All these benevolent actions, all these things that you are accomplishing in public, they are bringing you honor. They're bringing you fame. They're not bringing fame to Christ. They're not exalting Christ. And we, we, we should remember this. We can do all the things in the world to help our community, to help our members, to help, to help the lost. We can do all these wonderful things, things that the world would applaud, things that the world would jump in on. But if we are not doing it in the name of Christ, then we're the walking dead. Everything we do must be for the glory of Christ and in the name of His gospel. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, some people believe that that means that that's going to be the second coming and that these individuals are not going to be in, in the fold of the believers. There are others that believe that this is just Jesus going to remove their lampstand. In either way, what the point here is that if this church does not repent, they will stand condemned. Now, it is likely that some of these individuals will repent. They will hear this. They will remember the gospel that they once heard. They will follow in the way of those who are already following Christ, whose garments are not soiled. They will repent. They will turn back to Christ, and they will begin following Him in faith. But then there are those who today, we like to say, are deconstructing. Has anybody heard that phrase yet? Nobody? Good. I get to teach you something. Over the last uh, few years, it has begun becoming popular, believe it or not, for individuals in the Christian scene, that's what I'll say, and some of these people are very public, they may be musicians, they may be theologians, they may be pastors, but very publicly, they will say that they are deconstructing their Christian faith. Now, what does that even mean, right? Uh, on the same podcast there is an individual by the name of Josh Harris. Now, most of you all probably don't know that name, uh, but being a former youth pastor, that name was, uh, was usually shined in bright neon lights, Joshua Harris. Uh, he was sort of an evangelical rock star uh, in the early 2000s. And when I was a youth pastor, uh, many of my youth pastor colleagues in other churches they were using a book that he had written. And the book was entitled, Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. That was the name of it. And the idea was, is that 
in the book, he was basically saying there's absolutely no use for dating at all, is that it just impacts this purity culture and it's, it's leading kids, that the dating scene is leading kids to sexual immorality and all these other things. And so he wrote this book. That book sold over a million copies. Youth pastors from coast to coast and across the world were using this text to try to encourage young people to, number one, remain pure, and number two, uh, to avoid dating at all costs until you are ready to get married. That was the aim of it. Now, I'm not going to stand up and give a review of the book. That's not, my, that's not my aim for this morning. But what happened is, over the last few years, it has come to the attention that that book was used as a weapon to shame and to put guilt on a lot of young people and a lot of adults. And Joshua Harris saw the pain that that book caused, or I should say the misuse of that book, and ended up basically calling the publisher and telling him, telling them to not publish the book anymore. He went on an apology tour. In 2015, he resigned from his church out in the East Coast. He went on an apology tour. And then he started thinking about his Christian faith. And in 2019, he announced that he was leaving his wife. And two or three days later, he came out and saying that he was deconstructing his Christian faith, that he no longer identified as a Christian anymore. And that's where we are today. And today, he actually goes around on tours helping other individuals who are struggling in their faith not get their faith back, but to tear their faith down in a healthy way. That's what his goal is. Now, to help individuals deconstruct their Christian faith. And I started thinking about that deconstruction, that term. The idea is, by that term, and I promise you this relates, is the idea that this faith that was constructed, that they are now going to deconstruct or tear down, right? That's what happens when you deconstruct. You tear down to its base layer so that you are no longer, now there is no faith. I have no faith in Jesus. It's been deconstructed, and now I am just one with the world. Now, after I thought about that for a little bit, here's what came to mind. It's this. If your faith is something that you built, that you built, then yes, you absolutely can deconstruct that faith. You can break it down. You can renovate it. You can do all sorts of things to it. You can deconstruct that faith until it's down to the foundation, until there's nothing left. True faith is not constructed by us. It is built by Jesus. And what Jesus builds, you can't tear down. You can't tear down. This deconstructing thing that we're seeing, this phenomenon, is basically a bunch of individuals who were walking not by faith, but by works. And if you listen to the interview, he continually talks about all the things that he did, that he did, that he accomplished, that he was doing. Rarely did he talk about what Christ did on his behalf. And see, that's the error, and that's the error of Sardis. They would stand before you and they would say, look at what we have constructed. Look at what we built. God forbid us from ever standing up in public and saying, look at what we have built. 
Because if man builds it, it can be torn down like that. But whatever Jesus builds will not be torn down. And that's what Christ is saying. Remember what you have heard. Remember the gospel and repent. Build the church upon Christ, not upon all your wonderful deeds and wonderful good, look, good works. I'm wondering how many churches are being built on the good deeds of members out in the community so that people can see what they have constructed. I can, I'm, concern, I'm concerned about that for us. That as we slowly move forward in this congregation, inch by inch, two steps forward, one step back, as we do that, it is, it is my hope that we will never as a congregation say, look at what we've done. Look at what we have built. But instead, we would boldly say, look at what Christ has done for us. And here's what's interesting. If you are basing the success of your church on numbers of people in the congregation, or the size of your buildings, or the excitement of your worship, uh, your, your worship uh, services, or whether or not you can unmute or mute a piano or not. That's my fault, Brittany. Don't worry about it. All right? If that's what you're building on, and if that's what you're excited about, and that is how you measure success, focus, f- folks, there is never, there's always going to be somebody else who's one step ahead of you. There's always going to be somebody else who is more successful. But folks, if you are a small, rural church whose power goes out every other Sunday, never has the seats filled, just because they don't, all right? have one or two instruments on stage, but they are doing everything that they are doing for the cause and for the sake and for the fame of Jesus, folks, you are successful. That is success. And not be, it's not your success. It's the success of Christ. And praise God, praise God for all the churches globally that will never be known in public. They will never be known. Their names will never be on the news unless something negative happens, all right? But they'll never be known. They'll never be highlighted. They'll never be used as models for church growth. They'll never be used for models of, this, of, of, of extravagant outreach. But they will glorify Christ. And they are known by Him. They are known by Him. Verse 4, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I love that. There are a few people in Sardis. Remember that garment? That, that Sardis, that, this would have related really well. He's saying there are a few people in, this, in your church, in your congregation, who have not soiled their garments. Their garments are still white and they are walking with me. Remember, the blood of Christ will wash you white as snow. This would have made a huge impact on that church because they, they held their garment production and the quality of their gar, uh, garments on a pedestal. 
But Jesus is saying, listen, the majority of you all, your garments are soiled. They're like dirty rags. They're disgusting. But there are a few of you that are walking with me in white. He says, there are a few of you, all right, there are a few of you who are worthy. It says they are worthy. What makes an individual worthy? Nothing that we have done. There's nothing that we do that make us worthy. What has made their garments white? The blood of Jesus. Everyone who is born in this world is born in soiled garments until the blood of Christ washes it clean. And he's saying repent. And if you repent, your garments will be white as snow as well. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. See, there is a book. There is a book of life. All right. There is a book of life that has every name of the elect, every name of those who have been chosen before the foundations of the earth. Their names are in that book. And Jesus says, your name will never be blotted out from that book. Because what Christ builds cannot be torn asunder. And he doesn't just say that. He says, you'll conquer. You'll be clothed in white. And then he says, I will confess your name before the Father and before the angels. What does that mean? It's saying this. Jesus is saying, I represent this person. I represent these people. Or if I could say it this way, I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not ashamed of these individuals. They're with me. They're with me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The biggest mistake, I believe, and we don't know everything about Sardis, but the biggest mistake I believe that Sardis made through this entire, through their entire church history was the fact that they believed that the works that they did in public counted more than the works that Christ did on their behalf. They put more faith in their work than they did in the cross. May that never be so of us, both as a congregation and individually. May we always turn to the cross May we always remember what the cross accomplished on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we ask you at this moment to be with us. Father, may we always have our eyes set on Jesus. May we always have our eyes turned to the cross. Father, it is so easy to get caught up in worldly success. It's so easy to get caught up in what the world would deem as success. 
It's so easy, Father, to, uh, to pat ourselves on the back for what we've done, to be proud of what we've done, to where we believe that somehow our success and our salvation is built upon what we have accomplished and not on the work of Christ. Father, may our hearts always be pierced with the truth that were it not for Christ building the faith and applying the faith on our behalf, we would not believe. We would not be, fa we would not be faithful. We would not be alive, but we would be dead. Father, I pray that as, as the body of Christ here in this location, Lord, as, the, as gospel life community church, that we would be deemed alive and deemed faithful. Individually, I pray, Father, that we would seek Christ with all of our hearts and that we would be seen as alive and walking in robes of white alongside Jesus. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.